Welcome to the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm Jennifer Silliman, and this show is continuing the conversations started in the award-winning first-ever documentary film about maternal mental health. My journey as an advocate began through the power of storytelling. With this podcast, I hope to create a community of women and professionals sharing their own powerful narratives to let others know they're not alone and help is out there. Keep in mind that some of the stories you will hear may be triggering, but it's important they be told. This podcast is not a replacement for professional help from a licensed medical provider. If you or someone you know is suffering due to a maternal mental health condition, please contact your medical provider or call or text message the Postpartum Support International Helpline at 1-800-944-4773. Now let's continue the conversation. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I am here today with Sarah Orrance Bloomquist, and she is the co-founder and executive director at the Moms Mental Health Initiative in Wisconsin. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I think we're going to start out uh, like all of my guests have their own personal story. Um, So I would love for you to share that. And then we'll get into talking about this initiative um, that you have going on and and the uniqueness of that model that you have going on in your state. So go ahead. Well, where do I begin? (laughs) You know, I've got a few stories just because I, I have two children and I experienced it with both. Um, but they were both very different experiences, you know, with my, my first, it was, um, not, I was not expecting anything to happen. My understanding of postpartum depression was, you know, it happened to people who weren't supported or didn't have, um, you know, substantial, um, money or an education. Like I just had this very naive understanding of it. Um, didn't know any of the risk factors, even though I had <laughs> major risk factors having a history of depression and anxiety since I was 18. Um, so, you know, I went into it pretty blindly on that front and just focused a lot on understanding and learning about my pregnancy and not focusing and learning more about what happens after you bring the baby home. And, uh, so my son came three weeks early and I would say, you know, the, the, um, anxiety hit immediately in the hospital and, you know, there probably was presentations of anxiety throughout my pregnancy, but it was pretty much clouded by, just the, this might be normal when I'm thinking, um, you know, I was busy. So, um, but in hindsight, I'm sure there was some underlying anxiety and, you know, my doctor never asked me my mental health history, nothing. And I think if he had, and was clued in, then that would have been a great place to have this discussion about my risk factors. Cause I definitely had it. And I had half siblings who experienced it in their pregnancies. So, um, yeah, definitely had the risk factors, but, um, I think what the problem was is that, um, as soon as I had my son and the anxiety hit, I had very, my thoughts of contempt toward him and these intrusive thoughts that were kind of popping in, um, 
in the hospital. And every time they brought him to me for me to feed him, I'd have panic attacks and shaking, but I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, what is this? And the nurse is like, I think I'll get your doctor, but she never did. Um, and it just really was, um, I didn't feel that connection. I, I mean, I was just kind of in total shock and they're like, they're like, oh, he might need to stay a little longer. His Billy Rubin's a little high. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Can we stay a few more days? Like keep us, don't send me home. And, you know, they sent me home and I'm just like clueless. And I have this Billy blanket on him. And, and I mean, I had so much anxiety that was manifesting physically vomiting and, and just really sick and not sleeping. And, um, like the overwhelm, like someone described it as being like my, my joy, my experience was just hijacked, uh, at that moment. And every time I look at him, I would be like, Oh, I'm going to just, I'm going to throw up. I I'm so overwhelmed. I can't manage this. What did I do? And all of those, like, did I make a mistake? I can't go back. And, and, you know, I'm beating down the door for help and just not getting a really accurate or solid response from my healthcare providers. Part of it was February and like people were out with pneumonia. My doctor was out with the flu. Like it just was like the worst timing, you know, my milk wouldn't come in and it was like trying all these, my son's losing weight. It, it just was just kind of a cluster cuss. If you, if you want to say of, of things. And, um, I had some support, but I mean, mine, there, no amount of support would have stopped it from, from coming. I mean, it was, it was like, you know, riding in on a motorcycle, here we go. I'm just going to give you this PPD, Sarah, and you're going to suffer and figure it out. Um, you know, I went to the crisis center. I begged for them to keep me. They didn't keep me, but, um, I eventually got connected to, um, postpartum support international to birdie, uh, who everybody at PSI knows Birdie and, and she connected me to the right psychiatrist. And, you know, I got, I got on a plan and it took probably a good full year to feel like I recovered. Although, uh, I would say the first two months, I really had a hard time feeling that connection, knowing I loved him, but just not feeling that connection. Um, and then it, it started to come and, uh, so, you know, it, it got better. The sting was there for years and it was always like a major part of my identity. You know, it's like talking, oh, and I have postpartum depression like, just because it's just so in your face all the time. Like it just, your soul and your core is rocked by it and you can't separate yourself from it. Um, you know, and so I waited about four and a half years before I had another baby. I just, I, you know, I didn't even know if I would do it again. And then I thought, you know, I want to do this. I know so much more now. I feel really robbed of my experience and what I should have had when I had him and I'm, I want to do this again. And so we did it again. And, um, I had everything in place. I'd already been meeting with my uh, therapist. I was in living in a different state. I was actually living now in Wisconsin. So I was near my family and I had um, a fantastic psychiatrist. I had a therapist who knew my psychiatrist. And then I had this OB and he was magnificent. You know, he sat me in his office, uh, my first visit and just took notes. And I gave him the whole spiel of what my experience was like. 
And um, he just was like, yep, we're going to stick with your medication. We're going to do this. We're going to talk with your psychiatrist, your therapist. And um, they were like in communication with each other when I was going through labor and delivery. And I was also working at a, a pregnancy center and, and watching videos with all of my clients on delivery and labor. So it was like, I knew so much at the time. And so I created my own postpartum plan. Like I knew things could change when I, when I deliver, you know, I'd like to like go as long as I could before I'd ask for an epidural. My hospital was a birth center. They had in-home in-house doulas that you could have. And I signed up for that. And, um, you know, I went in and, um, had this wonderful labor and delivery. Like it, it just, it went really well. It, it, it was just a really awesome experience. And, um, uh, and then I had this like postpartum plan and I was like, my baby is going to the nursery every single night. I don't care if this affects my milk production, you're keeping her there all night. I am taking a sleeping pill and I am sleeping all night. My doctor is prescribing it. Like my doctors talked to the psychiatrist and, and, and part of my postpartum plan was like, I want the baby on me right away. Like no ifs, ands or buts that didn't happen with my first, unless of course there's something major going on. But, um, and the nurses were all yelling at the doctor, put the baby on her. So, you know, they had all read it. My doula was amazing. And I couldn't wait, um, to get out of the hospital. I just felt so good. Um, I remember my nurse, like challenging me about taking, sending my daughter to the nursery all night. And I was like, stop, like, don't go there. Like, did you read my plan? My mental health is more important. Like that than my milk at this point, I need my sleep. I'm just like, okay, you know, but that's what bothers me a lot is moms are second guessed all the time. And I think if you can give them, allow them to make an educated decision about what they want, let them do that and, and just not pressure them one way or another. Um, so when I got home, it was like, um, I think it was almost like a PTSD experience. I've started to get this anxiety, like that first day after we got home. And the shaking started and the wanting to throw up. And I was like, oh, it's, it's happening again. And, um, you know, call my doctor, my psychiatrist. And of course she was, was she out? She was, she was out of town, but the covering psychiatrist, thank goodness was, um, had knowledge about PMADS and she asked me about intrusive thoughts. And I was like, I think maybe I'm having some, um, and she goes, you know, I think more women do than don't. And I was like, well, that's good to know. And so she started me on the second medication. So, you know, for people who are wondering about what meds I was on, um, I was on Prozac. My doctor put me on Prozac um, before I got pregnant because she was like, that's just, there's more history with Prozac. So we'll switch you from Zoloft to Prozac. And then the miracle drug for me is Abilify. Like we knew that's what works right really well for me. So she, they put me on Abilify on top of my Prozac. And by the end of the week, I was feeling so much better. And I, you know, I was bonded to this baby in my pregnancy early on. I was bonded afterwards. I felt that connection. Things were going really well. And then around a couple months postpartum, 
I was like getting really uh, restless and I was like jittery and like not so much anxious, but like really restless. I'm like, I just didn't have the patience to sit and feed her. And by the way, I, I, after three weeks with my son, I stopped trying to get my milk to produce and we went to formula. Um, and it took, uh, an aunt who is a pediatrician to say, it's fine, Sarah, just go to formula. I'm like, okay, I just want someone to say that's okay, <laughs> please. And this time around, like they were a little hesitant about the Abilify and breast milk, although I'm not sure um, that would be the same now if I were to do this again. Um, and I was like, it's fine. I, I'm, I don't want to try and breastfeed. I, I, <laughs> I've been through enough pain. I don't want to go through it more, you know? And so we were bottle feeding and, and those are things I had to grieve. You know, I wish I could have done it, but it just wasn't making life doable for me in the way that I wanted. Um, so anyways, I was feeling really restless and, and like, okay, can I go back to work, you know, a little bit here and there? I just like, I'm just really restless. I don't want to sit around. And my psychiatrist said, you know, maybe you just don't need the Abilify anymore. Like maybe you're doing well enough that we can go off of it. And that's, what's making you so jittery. I'm like, okay. So we got me off of that and I'm plugging on. And I'm slowly slipping into a depression and I just, I never catch it with myself. Like I never have in the past and I didn't this time. Um, and you know, one of the things that I need to remember is when I start looking at other people and get envious of them, like envious of like, oh, they must really like um, their job. Oh, I'd be happy, you know, to have that job. Um, their life just seems so much easier and it could be like <laughs> anybody, you know, and are they really happy? Like, it's, just, I'm like envious of people because they look like they aren't miserable. And, um, I question how can they be happy? And, and that was starting to happen. And of course it was December and, um, at that time too, you know, I'm working at this crisis, this pregnancy center. And I remember there was a, a client there and they had triplets and they, you know, they just, they didn't have a lot of money and they were really committed to raising these babies. And I over-identified with them. <laughs> like, I felt this massive overwhelm, like for them, like, Oh, are they going to manage this? Like they had triplets and I'm like, Oh, and then I was, um, out, you know, my son, we were having a play date with some friends. I had the baby and, um, and all of a sudden the news came on, like through my phone that, uh, Newtown happened, the, the shooting in Connecticut, um, of the schools. And like, it was massive trigger. Um, that, I mean, I just, it just put me further down. And, um, of course Christmas is coming and I'm just have no idea this is what's happening to me. And, um, I was supposed to go back to work then after Christmas, like January, being January more, I still was part-time, but like, really it was like my three months postpartum mark. And I sat in the parking lot at Target before I was supposed to go in and I called my mom just sobbing and I'm like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. The anxiety was so fierce. I called one of my directors and said, I just can't make it in. And she's like, that's okay. It's okay. And, um, and it was like, there's those moments where all of a sudden you realize it's like, it's there. 
and it just sinks in that this is what's happening. And it was like, just full blown. That's how I feel like full blown depression and anxiety. And, um, on the phone with my therapist talking to, um, my psychiatrist, you know, I'm like speed dial, have them on speed dial type thing. Um, begging to go inpatient and, and my psychiatrist said, you know, there's nothing that's going to be different than what I'm doing with you right now. And she was on the phone with me every day. She was like at a funeral in another state and still let me call her. Um, and I, my husband took care of the baby of my son who was four and a half. And I just said, can I please go? I need to be with my parents. I need someone to help me with the baby. I can't, I can't handle hearing her. I can't manage holding her. There was like no connection. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it on my own. Um, and my, you know, when my first baby, um, I ended up like going and staying with my parents for a couple of weeks with him because I just couldn't manage. And the, um, because of how um, my dad was a bit older, he needed to kind of be in his own ter- his own place. So I went there with the baby. Um, and so this time kind of the same thing, um, because I just like to get up with the baby in the morning was too overwhelming. I, <laughs> it's just this dread. And it's like, can't make yourself even do that you just that dread just knocks you down um I remember sitting on the floor in the bathroom with my 80 year old father sitting next to me and I'm sobbing on the phone with my therapist you know and um, it's like what's going on again what what's happening why is this happening get when's it gonna get better and um, I ended up went going to stay with my oldest sister, uh, cause they didn't have any children home anymore. And, um, I needed to not be around my children. I couldn't handle it. Um, and it sounds kind of mean, I guess. I mean, I don't feel shame about that because I know that was the disease that was causing me to feel that way. Um, but I mean, like, <laughs> who wants to feel that way? Like I can't handle hearing my child cry. I have to go far away, um, to another place to, to stay. And, you know, I'm at my sister's and uh, like that I'm trying different medications. Like I'd sleep all day from one medication. And, um, you know, my sister had been through it. So they were really supportive. And, and I was like, I, I should see my baby. I don't know how much I feel about it. You know, when my parents brought her to me and it was like, how am I going to feel when I see her? And um, so my doctor had at that time switched, started switching me back to Zoloft. And then she goes, you know, let's just try the Abilify again, but at a lower dose with the Zoloft. And that is all it took. I mean, within a few days, I felt infinitely better. I, I could go to to, um, Toys R Us to help find a bike for my son and not be totally overwhelmed by that, or feel like I'm watching myself from above. And, um, and to me, I was like, this is, this is so chemical. This was such a chemical biological experience or response, um, because I was fully bonded with my baby. And then of course that came right back, you know, and I embraced my motherhood then, but, um, and I would say like, the sting of it wasn't as bad that time because I did get that early bonding and that early experience with her. Um, 
And, and I know I knew I, by then I had accepted my brain. Like that was the big thing after my son was born. It went through this whole like acceptance of this is my brain. You know, I had episodes in college and I just felt like guilty or just felt foolish. And like, you know, what's wrong with you? This keeps happening. Like, Oh, the rug got pulled out from you again, Sarah, you know, you're such a fool. Like I thought I was healed. And then I had my baby and it came again. And it was like, no, this is my brain. This is very much, uh, familial. This is how my brain works. I need medication to help that. I'm learning so much about myself. I like myself so much more after my PPD experiences. That's for sure. You know, you learn so much, but, um, so with the second one, I just didn't feel the sting as bad because I was like, that's what it was. And now they're 13 and eight (laughs) and, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Dealing with the other stress of parenthood, real fun sometimes, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, like how how it all changes when they get older and, you know, but also still how important we feel as advocates that are, you know, kind of a little bit further removed than some other people, especially that I've had on my podcast that have had their experience like four or five years ago, who are already coming out and sharing their experience and their story. But it's still so, I mean, my, my, my daughter's 11, almost 12. And so even though, you know, it it was so long ago, right. It's, it's just, it seems, although, because I think because we're both in the realm of everything. So we're always seeing things about postpartum and PMAS and everything. There's still so many people that just are not educated about it and don't know about it and, and healthcare systems that don't even talk about it or screen or all of those things. And it's still so shocking to me that it's like that and that there aren't more systems in place, you know, for moms to know. And just like you said, you're like, well, you know, I had a lot of risk factors and I was the same way when I saw that risk factor list, I was like, check, 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 check. I mean, I was like at a hundred percent, hundred percent chance I was going to have something and no one told me anything like nothing at all. And so I, I, I get that hundred percent. And especially with the with the breastfeeding, I was like, nope, not doing that. Like we're, <laughs> we're just going to skip right, right over that. Um, and, and the medication, like, you're right. It's such a chemical thing for people. Um, and without medication, I, we wouldn't be having, I would not be here and we would not be having this conversation for sure. I mean, it saved my life. So I know that from your experience, you, um, co-founded the mom's mental health initiative. And I know it's kind of, you had talked about it being like a little bit of a unique model and, um, where you are. So I would love for you to talk about that because I, I love for our, hopefully our listeners to, kind of know the steps to like create things in their own community and what that might look like. So I'm just curious to know what it looks like in your community. Well, I think it's really important for people to start realizing that community organizations are playing a massive role in serving our populations right now. Um, And there's probably more room for that than there has been before. There might be more funding available for that. And Um, there's just a lot of power in these grassroots organizations. Uh, We started it, my co-founder Becky and I, um, we met through um, a Climb Out of the Darkness event when it was with Postpartum Progress. 
and a few other women. And we all kind of connected and chatted and had our Facebook page and would meet. And because of the work that I was doing um, and because of Becky's background, we thought, you know, I mean, there needs to be a little more advocate work going on for moms. Like they're just having such a hard time finding the right providers. That's, that's the problem that we kept seeing. So many providers didn't know it. And, and my co-founder had just an awful ordeal, you know, being sent to the sleep center at six weeks postpartum because she couldn't sleep. Well, yeah, she had massive anxiety. Um, it, it, it just like, you know, your only hope is your doctor. And then when they don't come through, then you just feel completely hopeless. So we started working on these ideas about how to build a resource list for moms and with providers and help them get in. And um, through our relationship, we were able to get launched and um, start this um, mom's mental health initiative. And our mission through it all was to help moms and families navigate perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And we do that by sharing information, connecting them to resources and providing peer driven support. So really, you know, those are our three initiatives. And our first initiative sharing information was about sharing accurate information, sharing information that really gave the mom's voice, the patient perspective, you know, what does this look like on the patient? What does this look like on the mom or the birthing parent? And we um, kind of felt like that was a unique perspective that wasn't heard a lot. You know, we have like the screening questions and, and you have like, oh, this is what depression is. But um, as you know, and I know it looks different on each person and depression shows up differently. And then we also know that there's more than just depression. There's anxiety and OCD and bipolar and PTSD and panic. Like, so, you know, there's just this whole encompassing spectrum of these disorders. And um, we were like, this needs to be heard. So many moms were like, I had no idea that I was experiencing this because I didn't feel depressed. Um, so really focusing on the patient perspective, the mom's voice, the parent's voice, um, and through social media, you know, we, we found that as a great vehicle for our information. And our Facebook page is extremely popular. Um, and we're trying to build our Instagram and we would love to hire someone to help with that. If anybody's interested, um, you know, I'm an old mom now and I just don't know how to do all the fun Instagram things. Uh, but yeah, we would love to, to, you know, even expand our Instagram presence. Um, and then we also provide training and education on understanding these mood disorders and anxiety disorders from the mom, the patient perspective, going in and talking to doctors and lactation consultants and, and, and what do these moms need besides, you know, getting a diagnosis or having you listen, where's the ball being dropped? How are they falling through the cracks? So really filling and bridging that gap for the providers to understand, you know, uh, you, you don't be negligent by doing nothing. And, and you provide medication, you follow up about that medication. If you, um, you know, tell the mom she needs to get some help, you need to make sure that she's getting that help because she doesn't have the resources or the knowledge or sometimes the breadth or the language or the strength or the energy 
And we know that and one of the leading causes of death amongst perinatal women is suicide and, and overdose. And that's just tragic, you know, and, and more women are hospitalized and um, psychiatrically hospitalized um, in their reproductive years than at any other point in their life. So, you know, why are we not paying attention to that? So that's one of the things we do is that information sharing. Next is the connecting to resources. And I, I really like this piece um, because we, um, we have created like a preferred provider list. So we have providers um, who um, provide evidence-based treatment. So therapy and medication management. Um, we've screened them, we vetted them, we make sure they understand the full spectrum of these disorders. We make sure we, they understand intrusive thoughts and aren't gonna call CPS or you know, put the mom right in the psychiatric hospital because she's having intrusive thoughts, which horrify her and that's, she's not psychotic. So, um, you know, so we, we have these providers and these are people who are passionate about the perinatal period and what people experience. And they um, agree to try and get the mom in as soon as possible to make contact with her right away. If she reaches out, we can make warm handoffs. This is because we can do this, this heavy work of going and finding these providers and making these connections and reaching out. And, and so we've got prescribers who I can just text them and say, I've got a mom and she needs to be seen and they'll get her in right away um, because they get it. They understand the urgency. By the time a mom reaches out, she cannot wait. And um, it's always usually worse, her symptoms, than what she's telling us. Um, so that's like our, our connecting to resources. And, and so that peer support plays this massive role in keeping a mom alive and keeping um, hope there, you know, helping them um, see that, you know, it's going to get better. It will get better with the right help. It will get better. We have an online peer support group called Circle of Hope. It's on Facebook. It's for pregnant up to roughly 18 months postpartum. It's for women in the Southeastern Wisconsin area. And it's just peer support. It's monitored. It's safe. Um, it's, it's women can see that, um, they're not alone. They can see others getting better. They can see um, that um, the progress that they've made. It's so it's a really powerful tool. So we provide that peer support, um, and our model is really a virtual model, um, which worked well during this pandemic. Although you know we're all totally exhausted, and we're just like, okay, we're just gonna focus on making sure moms are getting the help they need. Like we're not gonna grow the business. We're not gonna do that. Like we're all just like frazzled and fried and our brains just can't function fully. But um, we don't have a phone number because we're not crisis managers. Um, you know, we, we definitely have training in suicide prevention. And, and um, so when we do have situations like that, we, we know what to do. Um, but moms can, they reach out to us through email, um, through messenger, through Instagram, Sometimes a provider reaches out on their behalf and says, could you please contact this person um, or um, gives us their email. And once in a while, a phone call is required because that's what that person needs. Um, and um, because of that virtual model, we can plug them into the support group, which is 
through Facebook. You, you, it's unsearchable, you can't find it. Um, and then we can also through emailing and texting, just get them connected to the right provider. Um, and that's just, it's a very powerful tool. Everything is, you know, through the social media, but it's a positive social media experience. This is about education and awareness. So, um, you know, some of the other things that we do right now, we have a contract, we provide technical assistance to our um, health and tribal health agencies through the Wisconsin Department of Health. Um, and um, there's different agencies that have selected an objective to improve upon, and one is perinatal screening. And so we're providing technical assistance with some of these agencies, although a lot of that was put on hold because all the agencies were focused on <laughs> contact tracing and COVID and vaccines. So we're starting to get back into it. But being able to kind of help these agencies, you know, looking at their screening protocols and their follow-up, because the follow-up is really where things fall in place. And because of our experience and our position, it's like, we can tell you what's going to help make it work. You know, we're not experts in every population or every culture. Um, and we really want people to, to step up and who understand their culture to do similar things. But it's about empowering people to take that, you know, take their, um, I guess, take what they've got and say, you know what, how could we create peer support here? Um, and the tribal agencies, like how could we get some peer support for our indigenous women? You know, there's the Plains peoples that we have a lot of Amish families in Wisconsin, like how could we provide support there? Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty fun to see how everything is kind of spreading across the state. We work really closely. We partner with the Periscope Project. Um, that is a perinatal psychiatric access program out of the Medical College of Wisconsin. Um, Dr. Wickman is the medical director. She's a perinatal psychiatrist. And she um, they provide consult on perinatal medication, psychiatric medication and substance abuse. Um, we're, we serve on their advisory council, but you know, we partner with them. We, we do presentations together. They've got that provider perspective. We've got the patient perspective. Um, and it's a really great tool because providers can call. And I mean, usually within 10 to 20 minutes, they will get a consult while the mom is still there. Um, and we know there's a shortage of prescribers in, across the country and in Wisconsin. And um, so we, we kind of encourage this, we encourage moms to, to mention it to their providers, like the more they hear about it, the more they might access it. Um, and we work with PSI Wisconsin. So um, there's a lot of great partnerships that are that are going on um, here. And but ultimately, you know, it's about making sure that moms are safe and they're getting the help that they deserve and their families too. You're doing amazing things. And I was so excited when you agreed to do this podcast, because I also love hearing about what's going on around the country in different states. I always really hear from like the East Coast and the West Coast, but like really just, you know, hearing from all different states and how you guys, you know, provide for the communities um, that you serve. Um, it's amazing. So thank you so much. Is there anything else? It sounded like you wanted to say something. Go ahead. No, I, I just think like, it's, it's, I like that you want to hear what's going on across the country, um, especially because um, from the healthcare systems and perspective, there just isn't a consistency of care. 
Um, I mean, there's a consistency in care as far as when you're having a baby and you get tested at a certain point for gestational diabetes and you can't, you know, be induced before a certain amount of weeks and unless there's crisis, but, you know, and, but when it comes to perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, there's no consistency, there's recommendations, but we just, you just don't know what your doctor's going to do. And some pediatricians are screening too. Okay. Well, they screen them. What do they do if they have a positive screen? Um, you know, 75% of women who screen positive do not receive any treatment. Um, so, you know, I think it's great having different organizations and different, um, business like health departments and different, um, health systems talking about this, um, at a larger level, the, the postpartum and, or the perinatal community is not that large, you know, we're all kind of connected to each other. If I have somebody contacting me from another state, I know how to get them connected to help in their state because of that, um, which is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's like, we need a reliable system and we need, we need to put families first. At, the, the, all these complaints about the social ills of our, of our country, fine, complain all you want, but unless you're going to invest in, um, they say the first ACE is, is the period, the mom's, uh, care or can't talk mental health care. You know, that's a predictor for the success of that child. Um, if we're not going to invest and realize that all people deserve to have health and wellness, um, then, you know, we're just going to keep beating our head against a brick wall. So I, I appreciate that you are, are spreading this, uh, what's going on at a, at a macro level because um, it needs to get out there. Yeah. And I agree hundred percent on the, not having that standard of care when it comes to dealing with this. I mean, cause when you think about it, when there is some sort of standard of care that every state would follow. The education is so much easier. The training becomes so much easier. It's, everything's not happening in pockets, which I, we used to talk about all the time and it's still happening. I mean, it's so great that these things are being you know, created in all these communities, but it's so much better when everyone can get on this, especially clinicians can get on the same page with screening and follow-up and you know, having a plan for when a mom comes into your office and says she's going to kill herself. I mean, I mean, I have, I, I was having doctors in my area here reach out to me when that was happening. And I'm like, I have a peer to peer support group and I have a crisis plan. How are, how are you an OBGYN and not have a crisis plan for your office? Like, I just, I don't understand how I just don't get it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I agree a hundred percent and that, that would be amazing if we could get something like that implemented in this country because it just, it would make everything so much easier, education, so, training, everything. Um, so siloed in our healthcare system too. Like, yeah. you know, all these specialties instead of like the primary care provider taking care of the whole family and then being able to access the mom and the baby together, like right. everything's so siloed. And then insurance is like, you've got 10 minutes with your patient. So um, yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to creatively get around these obstacles, but it would just be a lot easier if there was a standardization and, um, and that we treated this with the, 
level of importance, like we treat other illnesses like cancer or heart disease or they're just, you know, I'm, not, you know, know. I'm not trying to sound bitter. I'm just saying like, there's risk of death in this too. And there's right. risk of, of death, not just for mom, but for a child. So yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Well, I know we could talk about that side of it for hours and hours and hours. There's so many things that are just broken and whatnot, mm-hmm. but you know, the advocates and, and all of that who keep it in the news and keep it alive and keep the education going. I mean, there's power in that. Um, and so that's, you know, the hope that we just keep pushing until, <laughs> until something clicks with somebody higher up that can make a big change. Yeah. Um, who is yeah. person? Like, I know who, who, who is that person? <laughs> who are the right? I know. Like we're screaming to you. We know what to do. Put me in a room with them for an hour and everything. (laughs) Oh, I hear you. I hear you. Oh my goodness. Well, Um, I will certainly keep in touch with you because I, I, I definitely love, you know, I try to like, right now I'm actually, I have like a United States map and I'm like trying to make sure that I touch base in like every state to kind of see what's going on all across the country. And then I want to go international with all of our international PSI coordinators and kind of see what's going on in those countries, which again, some are doing much better than we are here when it comes to (laughs) care for mommy and baby. (laughs) I goodness, mind boggling. Um, But thank you so much, uh, Sarah, so much for um, coming on today and sharing your experience with us. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me.